Here we go again with a whole heap of sport ahead of us this morning and a whole heap of headlines as well. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, wherever you're tuned in, right across the network on the SEN app. You know the deal this morning. Give me your thoughts on anything that you've witnessed across the course of the weekend even into overnight and early this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line. 1300 01 1170 is the open line. So you can join that conversation at any time. If you want to reflect on any of the cricket that you've seen, any of the motorsport that you've seen, uh, we'll be talking in depth around all of those issues and more. The headlines this morning, will Australia lose to Italy in the Davis Cup final? Yannick Sinner has just been on the tear in Spain and the icing on the cake early this morning in cricket. This time last week, folks, we were all getting together at this time last week celebrating that amazing one-day International World Cup. That was a week ago. And how quickly we move on. I mean, the celebrations are still raw and fantastic, but Australia has now suffered their second loss in a row in the T20 internationals and also goes back to that question, why are we playing them? We know why, but overnight and uh, early this morning, Australia has gone down again to India. Rugby league, well, the pressing question this morning is what do the Kiwis do now? We know what they've done with Michael Maguire in charges coach they've shown him the door and he's decided to move on and of course the New South Wales Blues state of origin job will be rubber stamped sooner rather than later but what do the Kiwis do now we'll ask that question this morning Formula One Max Verstappen has completed an incredibly dominant season the icing on the cake for him victory at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix by a long long way and the records that Max Verstappen and Red Bull have ticked off throughout the course of 2023 are quite remarkable. You wonder if we'll see that kind of season again. Max certainly hopes so, hopes so, but he also knows that it's very difficult to do that once, let alone twice. In supercars, a big weekend at the Velo 500, a new champion crowned as the outgoing one fails to finish in the final weekend in both races. Extraordinary scenes. What did we say last week about championship Weekends, they just throw curveballs everywhere. We'll do our curveballs later in the week here on the morning show and the Monday sports scoreboard as well. So NFL, NBA currently underway. Tony Kemp will join me, of course, former Kiwi international, former Kiwis coach and now Brecky host over at SENZ. So we need to find out what's going on there with the Kiwis and the Michael Maguire situation and what happens next. Why, 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 why? And what happens next? So Kempe will join me in about 25 minutes' time. Larry Canning will be along to recap the Australian PGA Championship and look ahead to the Australian Open. Brett Phillips off the back of the Australians losing. I'll give you the details in just a second. Davis Cup and Moff. James Moffat will join us after a pretty extraordinary weekend of racing down there at... uh, the Adelaide 500 and a new champion. So Italy have claimed their first Davis Cup title since 1976 and it's only the second time that they've won it. Beating Australia this morning, 2-zip. Alexi Poprin and Alex Dimonor both lost their singles matches. Australia yet to win since 2003. Our current captain, Leighton Hill, was playing back then. And we've now lost back-to-back finals beaten by Canada last year. As I mentioned, Yannick Sinner, the star, he beat Demonor in straight sets 
in just over an hour and 20 minutes. And he knocked off Novak Djokovic twice in two matches in the semi-final against Serbia and was undefeated in his matches in these finals of the top eight. Matteo Inaldi beat Popper in 7-5-2-6-6-4 in two and a half hours and Sinek knocked over Demonor 6-3-6-love to seal the win and an emotional one for Italy. In cricket, Australia defeated in the second T20 International. So India won by 44 runs. They lead that game, uh, that five-game series 2-0. So India 4 for 235. That's their fifth largest T20 total of all time. Their top three all made 50s. Nathan Ellis, the best of our bowlers, three for 45. In fact, India scored 111 in the last seven overs at almost 16 per over. In reply, the Australians nine for 191. Marcus Stoinis with 45 and Matt Wade, 42, not out. Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Adam Zampa all came back into the side. Still no sign of Travis Head. Fair enough. Next match, Wednesday morning, bright and early again. The WBBL 09 finals are now sorted. We're down to the final four. Do you like this format? I like it, but it's tough. It certainly, it certainly favours the finalist, as in the Adelaide Strikers. There's no doubt about it, and that's the reward for finishing top of the table. But we now get to the stage where we've got the Eliminator, the Challenger, and the final. So the Eliminator has the Brisbane Heat and Sydney Thunder tomorrow night over in Perth at the Wacker. You win that, you go in to a match the next night against the Perth Scorchers. You win that, you go into the final against the Strikers in Adelaide on Saturday night. So if you're Brisbane or Sydney, you have to win three WBBL games in, what is it, six days to win the title. And you'll have to go from here to Perth to Adelaide to do it. It's a huge challenge. The Strikers looking for back-to-back WBBL crowns. Hasn't happened since the Heat won in 2019. It was actually 2019 and 2019. um, Start of the year, end of the year. And that was WBBL seasons 04 and 05. They're into their third straight final. All four remaining teams have won WBBL titles before. The Sydney Sixers didn't make it. The Thunder, well, they dropped a bunch of games at the back end, but they managed to scrape in. And their last title came in WBBL season number six. So that's the format there. Let me know if you like the Eliminator, the Challenger and the Final. Or would you prefer just to go straight on through? Now, Michael Maguire has had a bit to say to News Corp after resigning effectively as head coach of the Kiwis, being shown the door and ahead of being announced as the New South Wales Blues coach. It's saddening I can't go on. I'm shattered. I never wanted to go, but the New Zealand Rugby League wanted to go in a different path, and I just want to wish them well. So he goes out holding his head up high. Coaching these Kiwi boys has been one of the highlights of my career, and I felt we're beginning to build something special as a team, which is a pretty key quote. And the building was already there. The foundations were already there. Since his appointment in 2018... Michael Maguire won 12 out of 18 games as New Zealand coach and, of course, had a 30-0 win over Australia in the Pacific Championships final. So what happened this morning in terms of where the New Zealand Rugby League is at? Well, this morning we'll be speaking with Tony Kemp, but 
they've already spoken to Greg Peters, who is the New Zealand Rugby League CEO, on this whole issue. So let's have a listen first up of what the boss had to say about Michael Maguire resigning from this position, stepping down. First and foremost, we absolutely wanted to keep Michael. It was his decision to step away from the job with the Kiwis. He's done a fantastic job over the five years he's been in the role and obviously um, the recent victory against Australia and winning the Pacific Championships first time is, uh, was pretty special for the group. The two roles very difficult to reconcile when you've got team in Australia that many people would put ahead of the kangaroos and at the top of the pecking order. Um, as a pathway team in Australia and reconciling that with where we want the Kiwis jersey to be which is top of the top of the pecking order preeminent status of international football and we want someone who's 100% focused on that role and not having half an eye on a on an Australian pathway team over the ditch well I, I don't like to call it an ultimatum as such but that we certainly aired our views and it's not just uh, you know my view or the board's view it's uh, strongly held view amongst the current player group and and a number of former players that we spoke to that the two roles were incompatible. A bit to think about there. A little bit to think about. And especially off the fact that, as I just told you, Michael Maguire said publicly, I'm shattered. I never wanted to go, but they want to go in a different path. One of the highlights of my career. And then Greg Peters says, well, we wanted to keep him, but we can't have somebody who's got half an eye on Australian pathway. It's not an ultimatum, but there's a player group and an old boys player group. There's mixed messages coming out here. Did they bullet him or not? And what happens next? So who was doing the advising here? Who was doing the pushing? Let's have a listen to the New Zealand Rugby League CEO's answer to that one. No, no I'm, not, I'm not prepared to name names either in the current player group or the former player group, but I, I can assure you that we've spoken to both. And in the case of the current players, who we put a lot of, stead, uh, lot of status on, on their view, to a man they are consistent and, uh, and uh, you know, agree with the position that, we've, that Michael couldn't do both jobs. Okay, so, I mean, if we take it at face value here, there's no problem with Michael Maguire. And if you're a current player and you've just been coached to that kind of victory, then I, I can't see what kind of problem you'd have, but there is a problem with what he's going to do with New South Wales and the Australian pathway system. So it goes back to the whole same question here of did they really want to keep him and they're worried about the New South Wales job taking precedence over here of the Kiwis job, 100% committed. We'll speak to Tony Kemp about that in just a few minutes' time and, and try and find out what's going on there. I mean, where did the weight of opinion come from? Because if it came from former players, then that's a little bit of a concern. They should always have a voice. But if it came from former players, the old boys club, then that's a big concern. If it came from current players, then that's a concern as well. However, they need to now find out who would do the job next and who's going to do a better job than Michael Maguire. Now, that's before Michael Maguire had the New South Wales job, but perhaps that's a question as well. Let's see. 0457 736 736 is the open line. Uh, 
text line number or 1300 1170 is the open line number. The Adenfanua Blake saga is going to continue on, you reckon, for the next 12 months. We'll see him sitting down, having photos, meeting this, meeting that, sorting out where he's going to end up. He's been with the Bulldogs. He's been with the West Tigers. And we get a whole another 12 months of this one. And is also set to take a meeting with one of his former clubs, the St George Illawarra Dragons. So the, the shop front window is well and truly open, but there won't be any exchange of goods and services until the end of 2024. So the Warriors have got him for another year, of course, and then they're going to let him return back to Sydney. So the grainy photos, I reckon, that we've seen on the weekend are just going to be the start. More and more. It's a little bit amazing the way that it's going to play out. 0457 736 736 is that text line number. Kurt Capewell, of course, has been spotted touring the Warriors facilities. The Broncos have given him position to negotiate, um, and it looks as though that will happen really quickly. He'll join the Warriors as soon as next season. Jacob Saifidi is going to lock himself in at the Newcastle Knights on a three-year deal. So there's a little bit of movement happening in the world of rugby league. Max Verstappen, as I said, has won by more than 17 seconds in Abu Dhabi. So they couldn't find him. They couldn't catch him. And he was so far down the road that he collected win number 19 of the season. 17.9 seconds later, we get second place. Sergio Perez actually crossed the line second but had to serve a five-second penalty. So Charles Leclerc gets second officially for Ferrari and George Russell in the Mercedes third. Oscar Piastri in the points. I tell you what, it's been a stellar rookie season for Oscar Piastri. He's collected points along the way, got a sprint win as well. He was rock solid. Um, no really big super problems that he had with any teammates or any other um, dramas in pit lane. Meanwhile, Verstappen's just gone ballistic, scored more points than anyone in Formula One history in a season, 575. Largest winning gap back to second in the championship, 290 championship points clear of Sergio Perez in second. I'll run you through all the stats because they are quite amazing. Brody Kostecki has won his maiden supercars championship in Adelaide. So Shane Van Gisbergen had one of those weekends where nothing went right. Absolutely zero. And that's what he ended up with. No points. Brody Kostecki ends up winning the championship by 323 points. Sprock Feeney third in the title race. And Kiwi rookie Matt Payne claimed his first win yesterday to be crowned the Adelaide 500 champion. So you, you win on Sunday there and you crown the Adelaide 500 winner. He's the 10th different driver to win this year. So as we say goodbye to Shane Van Gisbergen, and say hello to Matt Payne because he's a, a young up-and-coming Kiwi who's going to be around for a while. And Brody Kostecki's an interesting one. He's got one eye on NASCAR as well, has already tasted it over there. He had his NASCAR team boss in Adelaide. And now the question is, how long will the current or elect supercars champion be around? He'll be there for another season at least and has still got some other things that he wants to do, a la Bathurst. Francesco Bagnaia has claimed back-to-back -back MotoGP titles. So Pico wins the final race at Valencia. He's the third rider in MotoGP terms to go back-to-back. -back. And, of course, Minwoo Lee won the Australian PGA by three shots yesterday. So he finished at 20 under. Rikuya Hoshino from Japan at 17 under. Mark Leishman shot the lowest final round score of 64 to be 16 under. 
And that's Minwoo Lee's fourth professional title. Macau, Scottish Open, Victorian Open, Australian PGA. It's not a bad resume for a 25-year-old and he's quickly becoming the toast of the town. The Australian Open starts on Thursday at the Australian and the Lakes. Adrian Moronk, of course, won last year. Adam Scott, runner-up. Cam Smith yet to win the Australian Open and bows out of the PGA. So we'll get Larry Canning's thoughts on all of that. And, of course, we also know that Steve Smith is returning for the Sydney Sixers for the BBL season. So, whew, take a deep breath, Australia, because and around the world on our SEN app, because that's the lineup today. That's the fallout from the weekend of sport and the talking topics ahead for the week of Sporting Talk right here on SEN. Come and bring on the show. It's all yours. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 Have your say. Welcome back. Uh, one game underway in the NBA and the Trailblazers are leading the Bucks 88 points to 72. NBA 2K24 is out now. We'll see you on the court and I'll bring you the scores from uh, NFL matches this morning. Thank you from Lee, who's always on uh, Chiefs watch. The Chiefs are struggling at the moment, although they've just scored. So 14 points to seven, they're being beaten by the Raiders. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Simon from Belmore's on the line. Uh, about the sponsorship news around Twiggy Forest and the Dragons, Simon. Good morning, mate. Uh, good morning. How are you, Matty? Good. I'm, I'm a proud uh, Red V member. I'm a proud Dragon supporter. For having him on board, okay. Yep. I know he's a legend and your support as well. Uh, a major sponsor, does he got a lot of say in the club after he takes over? Oh, well, they don't take over. I mean, I don't know, mate. That's sort of a question per club, per sponsor, per person, and, and I guess the way that each no, no, club deals major with sponsor it. But... In, in regarding a major sponsor, have they in regarding a, a major sponsor, a lot of yeah. In the club? Yeah, uh, I don't think they, I don't think no, they I'm have much to say. Because they're the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that. It's a $1.2 million a season major sponsorship, and it comes from Squadron Energy, if, if I'm right. So I don't think they, you know, they certainly don't have a say when it comes to the football um, committee and all that kind of stuff. But you have the year, don't you? There's no question about it. You have the year of the CEO. Would you like Twiggy Forrest to have a say in the club? Yeah, I'd like him to take over the club, basically, and I'd like him to take uh, to buy Colgrove Wynn Stadium. Yeah, well, I mean, he, be he'll hard. be a great because he, he. I mean, he got the money. I mean, I can't see why not, but you know, I mean, it will be great for the dragons, you know, all their lives to just to, to somewhere go forward. You know what I mean? Instead of going backwards yeah. all the time, some go forward. I mean, I think we should have a saying who they want us. He's a good place to sign up. He's a good place not to sign up. Because I mean, yep. he got he's the second richest bloke in uh, behind. He's, wor he's worth a bit, Simon, isn't he? <laughs> he's worth a bit, mate. Thank you. 33, I think it's 33 billion was the last time that they checked there, the whole the whole shebang, um, the net worth. But it's a it's a million-dollar deal, essentially. And the most important thing is, too, that, that it brings the sponsorship. I mean, like I say, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly how much a, a sponsor has a say in a club. Obviously, you're you're buying the right to have some sort of say, but when it comes to football matters and all that kind of stuff, you stay well and truly clear of it. It's a promotional marketing tool, but it's also a form of partnership as well. And the best thing about that is that the Dragons have themselves, 
or should have themselves a replacement after they lost the St George Bank, and they're going to try and keep and have uh, keep some sort of relationship with the bank in some capacity. But in terms of that real estate that we talk about on the front of the jumper. 1.2 million bucks, if that's it, is nothing to be sneezed at. In fact, the Port Adelaide Dragon says, Twiggy Forest, how good business acumen coupled with cash, exactly what's needed to take the Dragons from Amadeus to a professional outfit. Appreciate that, Port Adelaide Dragon. Let's go to the news. Kempi will join me after this. The New Zealand Rugby League continues to bubble along as they try and find now a replacement coach after Michael Maguire resigned, officially resigned. Tony Kemp is on the line. We've been chatting about this, Kempy, but now it's starting to really gather some momentum here because the question around Michael Maguire is, was he pushed or did he leave off his own bat? What's your take? Well, yeah, good morning, Matt. Um, look, I don't think he was pushed. I, I think it was made quite clear this morning that he was given... A, um, I guess a, a scenario um, which, which on one side was all about the Kiwis being the pinnacle um, of New Zealand Rugby League and, and someone there that was willing to work with the New Zealand Rugby League to achieve their goals and uh, which, which meant that they had to be fully committed or the other one was uh, the New South Wales job and I think it's pretty black and white that Michael Maguire decided that New South Wales was the, the job that he wanted and not the Kiwi job. So to me, I don't think there, there is any um, more debate about what uh, Maj Maguire has wanted to do. Uh, he's made it quite clear that he wanted to try and do both of them. But when you've got an organisation, and I don't wrap up the New Zealand Rugby League that often, but in this case, I've got to, I've got to agree with him. The, the job um, to coach that black jersey is a full-time position and, it, and there's more to it than, than just being the coach of a New Zealand team and and they have every right to say we want someone who's fully committed the, the decision for me was Maj Maguire had to decide between New South Wales and the Kiwis and he picked, he picked New South Wales. Is it the question of being fully committed Kempi or is it the question of having a job that has an Australian pathway attached to it? Well I think that that in itself is the problem um, when you're using New Zealand through a sort of lens that I'm looking at which becomes an Australian pathway then the black jersey doesn't, it loses it loses its prestige because you're really only um, using that, that position to further your career into Australian pathways. Here's the fundamental I'll tell you the fundamental problem um, with the rules and, and this has never been about Mesh Maguire. Okay, but, but what happened with the decision to coach New South Wales and try and coach the Kiwis threw up a, a severe conflict of interest. And here's, and here's the conflict. So you have a Kiwi kid that wants to play Origin, okay, and can play for New Zealand. And you've got a Kiwi coach that then has to decide does he play for New South Wales or the Kiwis. Now, if you're sitting in the New South Wales position, of course you want them to play Origin, yeah? That means that rules them out of the Kiwi side. But he can play for Australia, he can play for Tonga, Samoa, the Cook Islands, or so on. And from us in New Zealand, um, the, the rules in and around eligibility, which are a little bit of a joke, actually don't help 
Madge Maguire when he says he wants to do both because it, it actually puts a heavy conflict of, um, of interest on his decision um, helping players decide to play for New Zealand. We heard from Greg Peters, who was on your show this morning, and I played that a little bit earlier, Tony, to my audience there, and he spoke about um, Michael Maguire's position in this and also um, around the ultimatum, even though he said to you guys it wasn't an ultimatum, but he did discuss where the groundswell also came from, from the player group. And you and I discussed this the other week. So there's a mix of current and former players here. Who, who led the charge here to say there's a conflict of interest? Who led the charge to say that Michael Maguire shouldn't be the guy if he's going to go coach in New South Wales? Well, if you listen to Greg Peters, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of that um, leading the charge was directed at me because I've got a voice in the media, all right? I'm, I'm, an, I'm an ex-coach, I'm an ex-player for New Zealand, um, and I was heavily against Michael Maguire doing both the jobs, pur- purposely because of the conflict of interest. So the reason I asked, um, can you name the senior group of players, because I wanted to make sure that... everyone knew that he hadn't spoken to me, so get that one off your plate. But you've got to understand how the New Zealand Rugby League operate, all right? So so an ex-player like Tawada Neko sat on their board, so, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say he was probably one of them. You've got Hugh McGahn, um, who's a selector, so he's probably another one of them. Even though he didn't name them, uh, Howie Tamari, who's the chairman, who played for the Kiwis and coached for the Kiwis, is another one. Uh, Frankie Endicott, you know, so you've got all of these people, ex-players, that sit inside the organisation, which the NZRL would have utilised when making this decision and around um, what was the best thing moving forward as far as a Kiwi coach goes. So did they get a bunch of players led by Tony Kemp to to go in there and and shake their toys and throw them out of the cot and saying this is not on? Absolutely not. Um, This was not about Madge Maguire in the context that... Um, Madge Maguire is the right bloke for the job. This is about the Kiwi job being the pinnacle. And to have that person sitting in that role, and we can talk about what the coach would do in New Zealand and so forth because our game is severely broken, but to have someone who uses New Zealand as a, as a stepping stone for New South Wales, Queensland and Australia, but then has our kids choose origin, which leads into your Australian pathways, should answer everyone's question. New Zealand shouldn't be in that, in that position where their New Zealand coach is pathwaying all of the best young Kiwi talent into Australian jerseys or origin jerseys. What about current players? Did current players want Michael Maguire to continue coaching them? I mean, he led them to a 30 0 win over Australia. Oh, oh. He won 12 out of 18 games. Were they questioned? Mate, Graham, Graham Lowe. Graham Lowe beat him 18-0 at, at Carlo Park. Stephen Kearney beat them in the World Cup Grand Final. Blue McLennan beat him 24-0 up in England. You know, you're clutching at straws when you're using the 30-0. Like, the Kiwis have been doing that for years. Um, so, again, the current um, um, crop of players, of course they want him to, to coach. Because players are mercenaries, mate. They're never going to go against the coach. They're also going to say, no, sack the coach when it's not going well. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and blow wind up your backside. Um, of course he's got a group of players that would say, yes, we want him to stay. But this is, this is not about the current landscape. This is about the future of New Zealand Rugby League and correcting a little issue 
all right, which, which is formulated in front of their eyes and paid out to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Of course we want the best coach, all right, which is part of their, their policy. And if you read Greg Peters' policy, the policy is to hire the best coach. Well, guess what? You have to add words to that policy, which says you have to um, be the best coach to coach New Zealand through World Cups and not through New South Wales, Queensland or Australia. Mm. Uh, so who can do a better job? Who's the candidate? Who, who can take over from Michael Maguire? Well, that's, that's, that's the job that the New Zealand Rugby League have to do. And, and you know, I can't, I can't tell you who that person would be, but they need, to, they need to run a structure. And we've seen it happen many times before with our Kiwi jersey. All right. there's, there's two things at play here, Matt. One is that our talent, and we've seen this 20 years ago, was, going, was starting to be on level par with Australia. Australia changed the eligibility rules around origin so that they could get Pacifica players, because that's what your origin is now. It's actually a country of origin, not a state of origin. And therefore, you have these rules where a Kiwi kid now can play origin, like Caelan Ponga, and then play in an Australian jersey, whereas the structures to coach and keep them in this black jersey can look anything like Stephen Kearney, um, could it look anything like what Bluey McLennan did, what Graham Lowe did, um, and pretty much give the guys who have limited opportunities in this country, because we only have one coach coaching first grade in NRL, but a number underneath them, the opportunity to use New Zealand as a stepping stone into the NRL. And um, it's, it's got nothing... <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if they choose, let's say, and people are talking about Stacey Jones and Nathan Kalis, I dead set positive around them putting a structure around them with the same players because one thing that doesn't change is the talent that goes out on the football field all right so it's more a it's more a system issue a fundamental problem issue in your eye than than a coaching management slash personnel issue which is going to be a watch this space on who who comes in next just in clubland kempi um kurt capewell looks as though he's going to end up at the warriors and Adam Fanua Blake is out there in the shop front window. Is that going to be a bit of a dis- well? First of all, your thoughts on Capewell and the Adam Fanua Blake situation. Is there any chance that's a distraction for the next twelve months when we're going to see him just being courted left, right, and centre? Oh, look, I think I think so. I think he's already you know that's playing out, isn't it, Matt? In the in the press um, with Adam looking to go back to Sydney, move back to Sydney, and you've got. Capewell being being um, seen with Webby uh, in Australia. Look, you've got an ageing roster at the Warriors. You're definitely losing your number seven next year. Toru Harris is on his last legs. Adam Fanua Blake's leaving. Um, you know, I, I think it's more around trying to trying to stabilise side of Toru Harris decides to retire at the end of the year as well with um, with Capewell. Um, but you know, with with Adam Fanua Blake, I know we need some middle blokes, but you know, Sean Johnson's leaving. I think I think that money around Adam Fanua Blake, if you've seen some movement, will be around the halves or the, or, or trying to do what every other club is doing and, and, and get pe- people out of their contract with two years to go. Um, and I'm guessing probably a marquee halfback. Yeah. All right. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Well, there's a fair bit going on in your backyard. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries, mate. Anytime. Bye-bye. Tony Kemp joining us there, 0457 736 736. Let me know your thoughts. one 1170 is the open line number. So there's the explanation. That's the explanation behind it all. The fundamental problems in the system means that there won't be a coach who's got his foot in a New South Wales camp 
and a foot in a New Zealand camp. And that's the simple explanation from, you heard it right there, from Tony Kemp. Former coach, former player, and then who takes over next? And can they do the job? Well, that's going to be wait. We're going to have to wait and see the answer to that. Was there an ultimatum? Well, if you heard from Greg Peters and listened to that this morning, I'd say, yeah, there was. And the whole pathway stuff and fully committed stuff, it's all a mix of the above. But they just don't want somebody coaching New South Wales and New Zealand, it seems like. It seems like on face value. Who knows in the wild world of sport, the wild world of sport, that is. We're back after this break. Hey, don't forget, uh, Joel and Fletcher broadcasting this entire week down at Wahlberger's Opera Keys, which is right next to Circular Keys. So out and about, if you're in the area, go and say g'day to the boys. The run home with Joel and Fletch live down there at Circular Key, which would be good fun. Let's go straight to the lines. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Plenty of feedback from Tony Kemp's thoughts this morning. James from Hornsby, what have you got, mate? Good morning. Good morning, mate. Yeah, that Kiwi clown. I mean, yeah, I know you probably can't because you're mates with him and you got to be friendly and that, but he was saying, but I understood was, uh, if you have a New South Wales coach who coaches the New Zealand team and you have a player that might be eligible for New Zealand, but he says, oh, no, you play Origin, and then that rules him out of New Zealand. But isn't it the player decides who does which, where he wants to play? The player makes that decision, not the coach. Or is he saying then, by saying that, oh, the coach could influence the player, he's questioning the integrity of Mitch McGuire. He's saying, no, he'll be, you know, he'll do do up. But then if that's the case of what he's saying, why'd they have an Australian as a New Zealand coach when the New Zealand's beat Australia 30 nil? If the match was going to influence the player not to play New South Wales, uh, not uh, to play for New South Wales, so he couldn't play for New Zealand, mm. why, did it, how, why didn't he just play the game up and so then New Zealand would lose to Australia? That's my thing. You know, it's, it's the player decides. The coach is there he, unless he thinks and he believes that Match Maguire doesn't have the scruples and is unscrupulous and um, would dodge New Zealand rugby after they've just won well, 30 nil. What's he doing? your words. He, first he of all, first of all, first yeah. of all, hang on a second. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, you heard what Kempy had to say. He's not my mate. Um, in fact, I've never, I don't think I've ever met Tony. So let's let's just put that aside. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we work at the same stable, but that's it. He's a former player and a former coach, and that's how I talk to him about it. So. We've got to take him for his word there. If he's questioning the integrity of Michael Maguire, which I don't think he is, he's questioning the system that is involved in this and the commitment that they've got. So they've got a problem regardless of whether we like it or not. I can't get my head around it, James. I can't wrap my head around why you would move on somebody who's had the success that he's had in particular recently. And the only thing that I can think of is that the old boys which which Kempi did explain. You're talking about board members and selectors and all that kind of stuff, so there's a difference there. But then the current players, if the current players don't want Michael Maguire to be coach, then I can't understand why, especially after what they did to Australia. And if they did want him to be coach, then I can't understand why he's moving on. I can understand, I can understand, and especially after Kempi's explanation of it, the pathway system problem that they foresee, which they think is a fundamental problem. That's their view, 
and that's the reason why they've gone down this path, part of it. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Got to do a quick one here, mate. Gary is on the line as well. Gary, I uh, just need some quick thoughts. Go for it. Mate, I, I look at it this way. Maguire had the last say. Was he pushed when it was up to him who he chose? And when it comes to representative football, it, it's the players that they want to play for the coach. It's not the coach, the genius. It's the players. Do they want to play or they don't want to play? That's how I see it. I don't see it any All other right. way. And he certainly wasn't pushed. He had a choice. That's my read on it. Yep, yep, and that's not a bad read either. I mean, there's two sides to every story. I mean, if this was going to hold back Michael Maguire being the New South Wales State of Origin job, then you know which one you'd take as an Australian coach, would you not, as an Australian? I mean, you'd know which one you'd be taking. New South Wales State of Origin job is is very rare for a start, very hard to get, and if that was part of the the problem here that was starting to cause a problem on the other side, then if something had to give, something had to give. Now, the interesting thing is if we go all the way back to when this first bubbled up about the New South Wales State of Origin job, we all said essentially to a person, well, something's got to give and it's more than likely that the New Zealand job will give, but perhaps there might be the Canberra job that will give. So Michael Maguire is in a luxurious position where he had three, he had three roles. <laughs> so, in New South Wales job coming on, the Kiwis judge, uh, coaching job there with big success and the Canberra advisory role there as well. And now it appears as though the one in the middle is going to go and perhaps he can keep something going with the NRL role, which, if we forget about the Kiwis for a second and bring it back to Australia and back to New South Wales and back to the Blues and their state of origin, everyone's been saying, we've got to have a coach who's got his hands in the system for the NRL. So perhaps if we look at it in state of origin terms only and through blue eyes, it's been the best outcome. Still yet to be rubber stamped. Righto, six and a half minutes to 10 o'clock. We are back after this break. Happy start to the working week to you. 0457 736 736 is my text line. 1300 1170 is the open line as we pick apart the biggest issues across the weekend and ahead of us this weekend, uh, this week rather, in the world of sport and this weekend. Michael Maguire's resignation as Kiwi coach and the ultimatum, or was it, behind from the New Zealand Rugby League. I've had a chat earlier this morning with Tony Kemp from SENZ, of course, former New Zealand representative and former coach as well. And we've got down to the issue in Tony Kemp's eyes that there's a fundamental problem with a coach having dual roles in New South Wales and the Kiwis. And that's essentially what it comes down to, especially through the pathways problem. I'm still not convinced that there wasn't an ultimatum put to Michael Maguire in this position. And I'm still not convinced that they're going the right way with moving on a coach, essentially moving on, even though he's resigned, who's had the kind of success and got them to where they need to be. But it's the New Zealand Rugby League's choice to do this, and it has stirred up a hornet's nest of opinions. And you can have yours on 0457 736 736. Let me give you a quick summary. For those joining us on SENQ 693, um, the reaction to Kempe's thoughts has been massive thumbs down, <laughs> in a word, just a massive thumbs down. Uh, orchestrated the push against Michael Maguire. These are some of the comments. Uh, has no idea what he's talking about. Absolute dribbler. 
Um, the team needs discipline and structure. He needs to be held accountable if they go backwards. Who's going to take over, Stacey Jones or Nathan Kalis? Will Kemp's an anti-Aussie as Kiwi coach? Kalis may have played for the Kiwis, but he, he's an Aussie in reality with limited coaching success. Um, the whole argument is absolute twaddle. You either want to play for the Kiwis or you don't. Um, Kemp is defecting or deflecting. He's been the vocal voice to get rid of Michael Maguire. Where was the whinging when Madge was performing two roles while assistant coach of the Raiders and New Zealand coach? Well, that's not the problem, Dane. And it's a essentially, I, I think the term is NRL advisor anyway. But, yeah, you're right. It's an assistant ro- coaching role in some capacity down there at the Canberra Raiders. But the problem isn't in, isn't in the pathway of NRL players. The problem now that they see is in the pathway they see is in the pathway of the New South Wales side of things. And what if you get yourself a, a player who can play for New South Wales but is also eligible to play for New Zealand and if the state of origin coach goes, well, come this way instead of going that way, that's where they see the problem, which leads us to then who takes over. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. The Australians have gone down in the second T20 international uh, against India. So a loss last night makes it 0-2 to start this five-game series. You've got to give them some... Oh, sort of cut them some slack, don't you hear? I mean, Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Adam Zamper all came back in to the side. Marcus Stoinis was there, but India won by 44 runs, and they did it off the back of their fifth largest T20 international total of all time. The Brisbane Heat will meet the Sydney Thunder tomorrow night in Perth at the WACA ground in the Eliminator. You win that, you go through to the Challenger, which is the following night at the WAC, and that's against the Perth Scorchers. You win that, you jump on a plane and head to Adelaide. Saturday, Saturday night against the Adelaide Strikers. So if you're in the Eliminator, if you're the Heat or you're the Thunder, you've got to win three games in six days to take out the WBBL title. Max Verstappen has claimed yet another uh, Formula One Grand Prix victory. Of course, he'd already wrapped up his third world championship And then this morning in Abu Dhabi, just brained him again by 19 seconds. I think it was 17 seconds in the end. Anyway, it was a long way down the road. It was 17.9 seconds. That's where the confusion came. Uh, A long, long way down the road for Max Verstappen. Oscar Piastri finished in the points in sixth position. And Daniel Ricciardo just out of the points in uh, 11th position. So... Let me read you some of the things that Max Verstappen has done this season. Most wins in a season, so 19 out of 22, which is also the highest percentage of wins in a season. Most points in a season. Scored more points than anyone's ever done. 575 points. Most consecutive wins along the way. Most podiums. Most laps led. Highest percentage of laps led. Most consecutive wins from pole. Most wins from pole in a season anyway. I mean, most consecutive points scored, most hat-tricks in a season, only driver to win three times in one country. He's just gone bang, 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 and has not missed. And he's reflected on that as well. In terms of the largest winning gap, I reckon that's part of the key story here. So not just how far Max Verstappen was ahead of the field, but how far ahead of his teammate he was. So second in the championship 
went to Sergio Perez, who actually crossed the line second last night, but had a five-second penalty hanging over his head and dropped back down the order. But Verstappen has beaten his teammate by 290 points. Extraordinary. I mean, he's pretty much doubled the gap between himself and second in the championship. And second in the championship comes from his same team, the garage right next door, where essentially, if you believe everyone in Formula One, they've got all the right stuff. They've got the same stuff. So Sergio Perez has been crushed. The rule in Formula One, rule number one, beat your teammate. Well, he did that. And then along the way, beat everybody else to a pulp. Well done to Oscar Piastri. Well done to Brody Kostecki, who is the new Supercars champion after a pretty eventful week, uh, weekend rather, down there in Adelaide. I'll chat with Larry Canning in just a few moments off the back of the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland. Minwoo Lee with a three-shot victory, a 68 in the final round. Hasn't he just absolutely grabbed the attention of the Australian sporting public? Were you there yesterday or across the weekend at Royal Queensland, did you lap it up as much as Minwoo Lee is wrapping up, lapping up the support of the Australian audiences? The golf-loving public love him. 25 years of age now, four-time professional winner after wins in Macau, Scottish Open, Victorian Open, and now the Australian PGA. So he's winning all over the place, and you wonder what's going to happen next at the Australian Open, which starts this Thursday held at the Australian and the Lakes as well. Well, let's ask Larry Canning because he's on the line right now. Good morning, Larry. Wow, Minwoo Lee. The, the resume, he's only 25, mate, but the resume is starting to get very impressive. Yes, Matt. We, um, the, the, the last hurdle we thought for, for Minwoo, if there was such a thing for him, was to win. Um, features a lot in big tournaments, the US Open, the players this year, sixth and, and fifth placing in those events. Uh, always amongst the leaders, but uh, his winning record up until the last month was just two. Now it's now it's within a month; it's, it's doubled. So he's learning how to win, Matt. And um, look, look I, I watched him on the his, his pro warm up practice session not yesterday morning um, was just something to behold. The kid is. I know I've, I've said this a million times to to everyone that how much talent this guy's got, but um, until you see it live. Up close and personal, it is extraordinary. He went through the bag of balls like it was like Norman esque. You know, back in the eighties and nineties, watching Greg Norman go through a practice return, you'd, everyone would stop and watch players, punters, media to watch just how good this guy can play. The, the sky's the absolute limit for this kid, and, and as I said, now he's learning how to win. Wow, you know, let, look out. What about next week? This the, the, the Australian Open with with a Minji Lee, Min Lee. Victory in both the <laughs> Open, you know, men and women. David, what would that do? It could be, mate. It could be bloody likely the way that they're playing. Can I ask you this? It's it's interesting. We often talk in rugby league terms, Larry, about you know NRL players, and you hear coaches say this all all the time. NRL players don't really. I, I'm going to sort of paraphrase, but don't really find their feet in the game until they've played, say, 50 NRL games, 40 or 50 NRL <laughs> games, and then and then you're a you know you're a bona fide first grade footballer when you're a professional golfer some go through their career and win not a lot right but now that now that Minwoo Lee's won in Victoria he's won in Queensland which is an Australian title he's won the Scottish Open and he's won in Macau and you're and you're saying that he's now learning how to win 
at what stage does he get now to the next stage of his game, which is being the person that everyone's trying to beat? Yeah, major, majors is his next step, Matt. Um, and he's, uh, he's by, by winning this tournament, he's assured himself a, a start in the Masters. Um, pretty much every major now. Uh, he's, he went from, I think, 48th or 45th to... You have to be inside the top 50 at the end of this year to guarantee a start. And I'll, you know, there's no doubt he's... Not much doubt he was going to get a start anyway because he's got you know, three months to go before the Masters. But that's now cemented his place in the Masters and the, the next three majors. So... Um, he can, he, he with that knowledge that he doesn't have to play a lot or play at places where he may not want to play just to keep his ranking. Um, you know, he's going to pick and choose now and, and prepare himself for the majors. He's going to, a bit like an Adam Scott who designed his career around majors. I know he's only won one, Scotty, but he's been in contention so many times. And this this is what it will do for, for Minwoo. Now, he knows, he knows, he knows he can beat a field. That was a bloody good field, Matt, that Australian third. Joe, there was some... You know, there was like 20 of the, 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 the bloody, very, very good players. Um, and you can see just on the leaders board, Mark Leishman third, you know, Adam Scott, um, Adrian Moronk. There was there were players in that field, uh, first-class players, uh, and ranked in the top 20 in the world. So you can just imagine that, um, you know, once the majors kick in next year, men woo, but that's, that's obviously the next step for him. Mm, yeah, with the confidence. Um, you mentioned Mark Leishman, 64 in the final round, so he finishes four off the pace. But Cameron Smith, so the, the big talking point around Cameron Smith. Now, we know what happened, and we saw it all, and it was kind of hard to watch. But you had those weekends. The, the biggest thing, I, I didn't get to read the article, and I saw the headline this morning, Larry, but I'm sure you'd appreciate it, that, that we, will st- we will learn a lot about Cameron Smith this week and how he how he picks himself up from what happened on the weekend because there's a lot more to it than just having a bad round when you're Cam Smith these days. And then what kind of player comes out here at the Australian Open and and what he's done in between and what kind of focus he'll have this time around. Do you think that this is a, a big pressure point for Cam Smith? Well, I, yes, I do. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that until Thursday after, Friday afternoon, when he finished his second round. Um, he came out to talk to the media. There was about five of us gathered around outside the scorer's tent interviewing him. And and he was in tears, mate. He, he was, it was incredible to see. Just when you you, you think a kid that, this, that you know, won the Open in, a year ago, won the, the biggest tournament you can win, and then two or three months later signs for $140 million, that something like this wouldn't, wouldn't affect him anywhere near as much as it did. But he was... So emotional, it was extraordinary to watch. He could barely speak, and, and all he could get out was, "Australia's been so good to me. You know, Australia's good to me, and, and, I, and I've let them down." And it, you know, like it was stunning, Matt. I've never seen anything like it. And then, then he had the big, thick sunglasses on. He he had to go from there, sign autographs, and, and you could still see, you know, tears coming down his face. And then he had to go over to his fan club and sign someone's shirt. And he he, he embraced his girlfriend just just a, a few feet behind with her. All the gallery were, and and you know he let he just let it all out, and I thought, wow, that's it's another layer of this kid. You know, if you didn't love him already, watching that and and how much that meant to him to come back to Australia and perform in front of his home crowd, he knew he was the star of the show. I mean, his photo was all around Brisbane. I'm in the middle of Brisbane now. When you look out the window, and there's Cam Smith out the front. You know? it, it, <laughs> it was just amazing. So, can he pick himself up and win the Australian Open? It's a big ask, I reckon. I wouldn't have said that. 
uh, a week ago. But after what I saw, there's a lot of pressure on him now to win the Australian Open. Way more than I thought he would he would have. Given and, and it, we're talking about one of the grittiest players on the tour, Matt. I mean, he's, he's a He's got he's salt of the earth sort of bloke, and, and you know he, when when the pressure's on, he performs. But well, I didn't, I had no idea the the, the pressure that was on him in, in that Australian PGA. Yeah, and it just went pear shaped. Um, so let's hope he, he gets it all back together. Good on you, Larry. Thanks for that, mate. Um, we might try and touch base with you if you've got some time a bit later on in the week as the Australian Open gets underway. Adrian Moronk, of course, is the defending Australian Open champ. Adam Scott was runner-up there last year, but this one's at the Australian and the Lakes as well. Thanks, Larry. Enjoy the rest of your week, mate. Good on you, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Larry Canning joining us there. Yeah, the... the I mean, the meltdown essentially from Cam Smith was hard to watch. The pressure must, as Larry rightly points out, be incredibly extraordinary. I mean, he knows it and he's the poster boy. He's front and centre there and it just went horribly wrong. But then to hear how much it meant to him and how much emotionally it, it poured out of him, then that's tough too. But it also shows that this guy... Um, Loves this country. He loves playing golf in this country and wants to put on a good show. So let's hope that it all comes together. The Australian in the Lakes, the venue, was down there in Victoria last time around. Adrian Moronk was the winner um, over Adam Scott. Minwoo Lee finished third in the Australian Open last year. So look out, folks. We, we might be seeing somebody who's riding the wave beautifully. And one of the things that I love is that he's loving it. I mean, it's all very good to say that when you're winning. I get that. But he's lapping it up. Absolutely loving it. 0457 736 736 is the text line. Still plenty of text coming in off the back of Tony Kemp's uh, interview this morning. If you missed it and you've just joined us on 693, then you can catch up on our podcast platform. Really easy to do and just get the snapshot there. The reptile says, let me guess. Kempy wants Stacey Jones. Please, Kempy. Uh, Michael was pushed. You got your way. This one, however, says, Kemp spot on, great decision. Madge, failure at the Tigers and now Raiders. One-off win for New Zealand doesn't make you a good coach. Watch him destroy the Blues, says Matt, that texter there. Well, 12 out of 18 was the winning record for Michael Maguire as New Zealand coach. And you have to put in, don't you, the 30-0 win over Australia in the Pacific Championships final. It wasn't though Australia... The Kangaroos just had everyone sitting on the sidelines. That was their biggest defeat. You have to put that in. If not, what, what else do you go on? I'm not too sure. Greg Peters from the New Zealand Rugby League, the CEO, has had a bit to say on SENZ this morning. Let's just have a listen to that, especially for the benefit of our uh, listeners in Queensland who've just joined us in the last 20 minutes. This is Greg Peters explaining about which former or current players or what the makeup of players was when it came to the advisory position and, and who they who they door knocked essentially on Michael Maguire's future as Kiwis coach. No, no, I'm not I'm not prepared to name names either in the current player group or the former player group, but I I can assure you that we've spoken to both. And in the case of the current players who we put a lot of stead uh, a lot of status on on their view. To a man, they are consistent and uh, and uh, you know agree with the position that we've that Michael couldn't do both jobs. So that's what it comes down to: that 
they just couldn't do both jobs. So clearly the board thought, clearly New Zealand Rugby League had that thought. I mean, there's plenty of players and ex-players, we know that. But the current players, that's, that's to me the interesting one. If the current players are of the opinion that the head coach shouldn't be coaching New South Wales or Queensland, then there's no other course of action. I can't imagine the current playing group really being too interested in it, to be honest. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't imagine the current playing group of the New Zealand Rugby League side would be too interested on what their coach does outside of coaching them. (laughs) That's the stuff for former players and board members and selectors and those with an axe to grind. Let me know your thoughts. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number on this Monday morning right here on SEN, your home of sport. Don't forget Flight Centre's Big Red sale is on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. You can book now to save big on Flight Centre's Big Red sale. The Sydney Roosters NRLW team has announced that uh, Jess Sergis and Taryn Aiken have both re-signed with the club. So Taryn re-signed until the end of 2025 and Jess has re-signed until the end of 2027, which is good news. Roosters head coach John Strange has said they're among the most talented and committed athletes in the NRLW and their decision to extend with the Roosters is a testament to the club's culture and shared ambition for success. So some long-term deals there. Well, in Taryn's case, until the end of 25, and in Jess Sergis's case, till the end of 2027. And I see, too, that Steve Smith has been locked in to play a couple of games in the Big Bash. So you remember they finally got over that hurdle um, last year, and Smith lit it up. He became the first men's player to reach triple figures in the Sydney Sixers history and he'll be playing in the match against the Melbourne Renegades on the 8th of December and then should be back on January 12th um, for this Sydney smash which is good news for the Big Bash League for Steve Smith and of course the Sydney Sixers but especially for the BBL I mean they just had to try and work out a way to get this thing happening and they did last summer he scored 346 in an average of 86.5 in five matches for the Sixers, and two of those were centuries. Usman Khawaja and Manus Labuschagne have been made available for the Heat for the season opener against the Melbourne Stars, which is also good news. So it's the constant juggle, isn't it? And it shows you where the Big Bash League sort of sits in the priorities of trying to juggle the calendar. Steve Smith said, it's great to be back in the shirt of the Sixers. I'm an original, part of the first squad and really enjoyed my time last year that I played. Just get around the team, he said. We've got a wonderful team, wonderful culture. So he didn't miss with the opportunity last year is, is what I'm saying, or last season, once they cleared the path, away he went. I mean, it's also the anniversary today of the death of Philip Hughes. So November 27, of course, is the day. And Phil Hughes passed away on this day after that horrible accident, as we know, at the SCG and then everything that um, panned out afterwards. And he was pronounced dead on this day back um, in 2014. Can you believe that? 2014, he was 25 years of age. So our thoughts again always to the family and friends and 
Greater Cricketing Society of those who were affected by the death of Philip Hughes. Here's the news. Thank you, Vanessa. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number. Brett Phillips will join me this half hour to talk tennis. Uh, Australia losing to Italy in the Davis Cup final. So the Italians' second Davis Cup win in their first since 1976. The Aussies now 20 years down the track since we last won the final of the Davis Cup after that uh, big couple of days or a week or in a week and a bit, really, um, in Malaga in Spain. Andrew in Newcastle is on the line. We'll take your call straight away. Andrew, good morning, mate. G'day, Matty. How are you going today? Good, thanks. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, I, I just on the New Zealand situation, I tend to agree with New Zealand Rugby League and um, Kempe. Like, like it or not, if Madge coaching New South Wales, he's is part of the Australian system, whether he likes it or not. Like it is, the Australian team is made out of New South Wales and Queensland players, and I just, I just always saw it as a conflict of interest and couldn't get over the the outcry that he, you know, physically he could do both. But I just find that uh, conflict of interest. And in the end of the day, if he was that passionate, New Zealand wants someone passionate about New Zealand rugby league. If Madge is that passionate about New Zealand rugby league, well. Stay on the job and don't take the Blues job. Like, it's it's um, as simple as that for me. Hmm. Yeah. I, look, I agree with you on the conflict of interest part because the, the explanation around that, as in I agree, I agree that there's a valid explanation around that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how you can move on a coach um, who's going to give you 100%. But the, the New South Wales into Australian pathways and the connection with Mal Meninga is one thing, but then it's also, as Kempe pointed out, the if there are possible players who may be able to represent New Zealand, but then you take them into the, new, into the state of origin pathway and get them there first, then you're eliminating their, um, their outcome to play for New Zealand. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Andrew. I totally get that part of it too. Here's a flip side, though. I thought of this one the other day before we talked about say, taking a player into the New South Wales system before he gets to the New Zealand system. Here's the flip side to that. What if the the Australian pathway connection is reversed? What if, what if he goes through New South Wales state of origin, but then he goes to coach New Zealand and he's coaching against players that he's had first-hand knowledge of in the Australian system? Isn't that a benefit? Wouldn't that be a benefit for the Kiwis? Exactly. It would be, and that's why I'd be. That's why I was against his. Like, I think Mal Meninga would be against Magic Couch in New South Wales. Like, I've worked in sport all my life, and I've worked in Australian sport. If I started coaching another individual athlete from another country, I know I'd certainly get shown the door. Like, it's you've got to have your uh, allegiances, and I just thought it was strange that New South Wales were happy. And, and I don't know whether they have any direct relationship or contact with the ARL. You'd like to think they did. And whether mm. Mal Meninga endorsed it, because like, that would be an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good one, mate. Thanks for that, Andrew. I appreciate your thoughts on it. I mean, this is the cool part about what we do on this show. We I, I, Sometimes I just can't wrap my head around decisions. And then we, we open the forum up and we get all sides of it. And we start to learn more information, which is the cool part. And you can really only make a, a viable decisionary outcome based once you've got all the information. So I, I'm starting to load up 
the book in front of me with more and more information on it. And I get it. I, I get the conflict of interest part. I just wonder, are they going to have a coach? Are they going to find themselves a coach? And are they listening to the right people? But are they going to find themselves a coach who can do what, what Michael Maguire clearly did with him? And if you're dismissing a 30-0 win over Australia, then I don't know if that's the answer. Shane is on the line. G'day, Shane, your take. Yeah, Matty, um, just like to know on the new boss of uh, SEN New Zealand and the New Zealand Rugby League, Tony Kemp, what his thoughts are on expansion in New Zealand of Rugby League. Now, I know the Warriors are against it because they want don't want another team in their own backyard. But at the end of the day, all decisions in New Zealand Rugby League must come through Tony Kemp. <laughs> I don't know what his thoughts are on expansion, mate. That's a that's an entirely different issue. Um, but Kempy's got a voice over there, right? So he's on he's on radio like we are. Um, and, hmm. you know, he, he's, he comes from an authoritative position. I never played for my country, mate. I never coached my country. He did and he has. So he definitely has that right to be able to say that and he has the platform to be able to say that. The expansion one's an interesting one. The thing I'll say on expansion, mate, and you, you know better than, than most on this, is that the Warriors might have their say about who they want in their own backyard. Let's not forget that the Broncos, you know, um, have had other teams pop up in their backyard as well. So the Dolphins, the most recent there. So the Warriors are going to have to cop it sweet. That's where I'd be going. Anyway, but that's a, that's a totally different well, discussion. Matty, um, I think we can name Kempi now Kempi the Kingmaker because he appoints the coaches and he looks like he's going to run all the pathways and the whole lot. And you know what? At the end of the year when we play them, it's all going to come crashing down. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let's wait and see. Let's, let's see what happens there. I mean, the only way... He's up for Australia after their last match. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate that, mate. Um, on that, Jason says, when is the next international New Zealand's involved in Origins, the middle of our season? Um, his focus is on Origin. Then he can shift to New Zealand if the game's at the end of the season. Yeah, it's, th- there's nothing on the short-term horizon. So, as Andrew pointed out, Jason, physically, I don't think there's any problem with Michael Maguire doing both. I think, and especially somebody of Michael Maguire's um, skill, preparation, work ethic, all that kind of stuff that we constantly hear about, I don't think there's any problem for him doing both. But the, the New Zealand Rugby League here, if you take away all the stuff and take away the Kempies, you know, thoughts and all that business, the, the New Zealand Rugby League have identified that there's a conflict of interest between a state of origin coach and an international coach, their international coach. It's that simple. Well, that's what they're saying. It's that simple. And that means that for the foreseeable future, that won't be happening again. Matt says, you know my views on golf. I've always loved the live golf concept. On the weekend, I realised, however, that the lack of tough four-round golf has been a negative for the likes of Cam Smith. In fact, in one weekend, Min Woo has surpassed him. He didn't get to four rounds, did he? He didn't get to three, Matt. Just one of those ones that went pear-shaped. I wonder, you know, the changing face of Liv and how they're all trying to sort that out, where the concept of the 54 holes sits at the moment. 
and whether they would look at changing it. I don't think anything's going to change next year aside from the calendar having a few more bits and pieces on it. But I just wonder what the players are saying about that. A little bit later on, I'll also touch on, as we look at some NFL scores, and I'll give you the update in our next ad break, but a really interesting story that is one to keep in the back of your little black book when you're thinking about where sports rights, TV broadcasting rights and streaming rights head and may head in this country. Because we've just had Black Friday and over there in America, Amazon, who, as you may know, had Thursday night football in the NFL on Thanksgiving Day and uh, Black Friday with the shopping (laughs) extravaganza that's gone on, have bundled all that together. Now, there's no way in the world, if I had said to you two years ago, can you see a day, folks, where NRL, you'll be watching it on Amazon Prime Video, and not only that, you'd be getting 20% off what you're about to order on Black Friday because there's the same game being played and they've rolled it all into one, and you can sit there and you can just do a QR code on the ad breaks that are popping up on your streaming platform or in play. You go, mate, shut up. It's Channel 9, it's Fox, and it might be 7 or 10 or whatever. It's, yeah, forget about it. It's happened. <laughs> it's happened at a rate of knots over there in the NFL. So I'll take you through that. It's a pretty interesting story. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is our open line number. We'll take a quick break here on SEN. Welcome back. The Live Golf 54 hole issue is non-existent, says Glenn. Look at Mark Leishman's results. 64 in the final round. Not bad. Ridiculous to say Cam Smith had a problem with his lack of 72 holes. Look at what Brooks Brooks Kepka has done as well. Thank you for that, Glenn. Appreciate it. Australia went down in the Davis Cup final to Italy, as I've told you this morning. So Yannick Sinner, an absolute standout star, and he wasted little time in dismissing of Alex Dimonor to wrap it up for Italy. Of course, the first serve tonight, right? across the SEN network from 8pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time and Brett Phillips is on the line. G'day BP, we've we've spoken often about Yannick Sinner and boy oh boy did he deliver in this Davis Cup. Yeah, the architect uh, Matty, I mean a strong team, uh, <laughs> obviously a lot of guys disappointed. You know, when you're looking over at the bench today, Berrettini has had a tough year with injury, uh, Musetti who played in the first part of the week, he got a little injured. And then they, you know, throw in this Matteo Armaldi who's had a massive ranking spike uh, this year. And, and and that was where, you know, the tie. I mean, obviously, Sinner was going in as the favourite against Demonor. Hasn't lost to Demonor, and we know what he's done, you know, post-US Open. He's only lost two matches and risen to the top four. So he was going to be the favourite. Australia had to pinch that second singles rubber. It's been the dilemma all week. We started with Jordan Thompson. We went with Alexi Popper in the semi against Finland. He deserved to get... You know, that billing again, but Alnaldi played out of his skin, and you, you, you felt once they'd won that opening rubber, Italy, it was going to be a huge mountain to climb. Plenty of faith in the doubles uh, if it had got to Ebden and Purcell because they were undefeated all week. But look, he started well. Alex, he jumped out, he was uh, bouncing around everywhere, he was uh, just trying to show his opponent that he was up for the fight. But once, uh, yeah, Sinner settled into the match, and that, that was only what 24 hours after. You know, his epic win against Djokovic. So he took a little while to get going, but once he clicked, you know, a bagel in the second set and Italy um, for the first time in 47 years, Davis Cup champions. 
Yeah, and we've got to wait uh, another year as well. So 2003, we've got to go back to find our last one. I mean, Sinner's just been on one of those runs. So he's beaten nine top ten players since September. He had the two wins over Novak Djokovic. Mm. Um, had a 5-0 and head-to-head record against Demonor coming into this one as well. So, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, mate? Like you say, had it got to a doubles then a very different, yep. probably, scenario. But they would have earmarked that match against Demonor, wouldn't they, the Italians? Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's, you know, so we know where Sinner's at. And, look, Alex has had a terrific year, you know, just to consolidate his spot in the, so- in the top 20, but be closer to the top 10. That was, you know, I've said this before, that was the goal. Uh, but, you know, to, to consistently beat that real top echelon of player is the challenge for Alex Demonor. Uh, his game has gone to another level, I think. But gee, these guys at the top, uh, you know, his contemporaries, if you like, uh, just are, play bigger. They can just blow you off the court. And I mean, Yannick's uh, just to watch him up at the net now. He's such a good forward uh, court player, uh, very comfortable there. Not not so once upon a time. So yeah, Italy, there is very very strong tennis nation. Certainly on the men's side, it was the women a few years ago with Roberta Vinci and Schiavone and. Flavia Panetta, but now it's the men who are um, you know, doing some good things on the world stage. All right. You'll have it all covered tonight in the first serve. So from 8 o'clock, mate, thanks for that, and uh, have a good show this evening. Indeed. Our final one for the year, mate. So we'll uh, hang up the boots for December and have a spell, but looking forward to it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you'll need a spell too, given the amount of tennis that's going to come our way. Thanks for that, BP. Brett Phillips there, so make sure you tune in to the first serve tonight. And the consistency of the Australian team's interesting because, the, you know, the, the obvious negative of that is missed out on the final victory again after being beaten by Canada last year um, at the same venue, in fact. But the Davis Cup has now had 10 different winners in the last 10 years. So it's been very hard to try and dominate, yet Australia is consistently there. And knowing what we know about Leighton Hewitt, that's what he'll be focusing. He'll be bitterly disappointed. But that's what he'll be focusing on, the fact that they've built this consistency in a competition against the world's best that has been flipping and flopping all around. So a 2-0 victory this morning to Italy. Uh, They didn't need the doubles in the end. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. We'll talk supercars in our next hour with James Moffat. Brody Kostecki is the new supercars champion. If you don't know too much about him, well, try and wrap your head around the name um, because you'll hear a lot more. You'll hear a lot more about Brody in coming years, and that'll be dependent, however, on how long he stays in Australia. He's got his eyes on NASCAR as well. Shane Van Gisbergen's already going. Um, so there's a, a new generation led by Brody and the man who won yesterday in Adelaide, Matt Payne, a youngster. Another Kiwi comes through. So we farewell one and another one pops in the system and starts winning races and big races too. The Adelaide 500 is a big, big one to win. Ten dif- different drivers won this year. And, of course, Ford won the uh, final races. In fact, the four final races for the season after all that parody drama that they had. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Uh, lots of thoughts around Michael Maguire, around Tony Kemp, uh, around the Kiwi situation. They just continue to come on through the T20 games as well. We'll get to all of those 
as we head towards our final hour of the program this morning. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six is that text line number. Now, as I mentioned, the WBBL goes into its final series and there's three parts to it. So you've got the Eliminator, the Challenger and then the final. So Brisbane Heat v Sydney Thunder tomorrow and the Challenger is Perth v the winner of that the following night. Both of those games at the Wacker and then the final to be played at the Adelaide Oval this Saturday against the Adelaide Strikers. So they're waiting, the Strikers. Meanwhile, Cricket Australia has announced its team of the tournament for WBBL 09. As voted by the eight club head coaches, which is a cool way to do it. So the top five run scorers and the top three wicket takers have all earned selection. Perth's Scorchers captain Sophie Devine has been selected to lead the side. Uh, Beth Mooney has earned another team of the tournament selection, another brilliant campaign. 539 runs this season, including 101 not out. And she's now at 4,647 runs. Sophie Day has been named in the side, 27 wickets throughout this campaign, which doubled her career wickets, taking her to a total of 53. So the team is Beth Mooney uh, as wicketkeeper from the Perth Scorchers, Katie Mack from the Strikers, Kamari Atapathu from the Sydney Thunder, Sophie Devine, captain from Perth, Elise Perry from the Sixers, Annabelle Sutherland from the Stars, Amy Edgar from the Scorchers, Amanda Jade Wellington from Strikers, Chloe Ainsworth from the Scorchers, Lauren Cheadle from the Sydney Sixers, Sophie Day from the Stars and Charlie Knott from the Brisbane Heat make up our team of the tournament as we wait to see which teams will make it through to the final of WBBL 09 after the stadium series that they had across the course of the weekend. Right, let's give you an NFL update. Um, there are quite a few matches going on, so we do this thanks to NFL Game Pass, and you can catch every single NFL game this season only on DAZN. Just go to nflgamepass.com. So where are we at at the moment? I'll get a bit of refreshing going so we can get the latest scores. Rams are beating the Cardinals 37-14. Broncos lead the Browns 27 points to 12. Bills lead the Eagles 24-21. So that's into the fourth quarter. The Chiefs have got it together against the Raiders and with three minutes left, lead 31 points to 17. Um, we've still got the Chargers and Ravens to come. So the interesting one about what happened across the course of the weekend extended is the story around Amazon and their coverage of Thanksgiving week over there. So the two big traditions on Thanksgiving week of football and shopping. And Amazon have nailed both of them in the one hit. So they've managed to put an NFL game on a Friday. Amazon has Prime Video, has exclusive rights, and they paid a fortune for the Thursday night football game. But they managed to negotiate this one with the NFL broadcasting the inaugural Black Friday game. So the New York Jets hosting the Miami Dolphins. So... What does that mean? It means a lot when you think about the future of sport and sports streaming and also scheduling. So broadcasting of the game is number one priority. But when you're Amazon and you're Prime, you've got the unofficial over there shopping holiday 
why not mix the two together? And that's exactly what they've done. Now, they've experimented over in the past with Nickelodeon and Disney Plus broadcasts, etc., etc. But on Black Friday, Amazon has its most traffic of the year and it's the most lucrative day for online shopping. And a lot of people have the day off work and school as well. So they managed to get Jets and Dolphins to play. And that's an exclusive stream of that game of Thursday night football, which has moved to Friday. And not only that, then what they did was they extended their hour-long pregame show to an hour and a half. So they started at 1.30 local time over there for a 3 p.m. kickoff. And then throughout the course of the coverage, deals pop up on the screen. Exclusive discounts if you're sitting there watching at home. You've got a QR code and you scan it, and then away you go. And they use some of their NFL talent to spruik the deals as well. Plus, that game is free. So you could stream the game online or you could download the Prime, uh, the Prime Video app to watch it, and you don't need to have a Prime account just for that one. And then they had... Garth Brooks performing an exclusive concert in partnership with Amazon Music <laughs> and a supergroup as well. So it's quite extraordinary what they've done. Thursday night footy ratings have already increased by 25, 26%. And you're looking at more than 12 odd million viewers over there. And now they've got themselves a new broadcast window that then says, let's marry this all up with our streaming platform, marry it all up with the biggest shopping day of the year, marry it all up with all the information that we're going to get, and everyone's a winner. That's why you look at Amazon paying a billion bucks for one game of footy. So just keep that in mind when you think, ah, sports broadcast won't change over here, the sport, the, the no, 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 they're not major players. The streaming's too clunky and all that kind of stuff. There's valid points to all of that. And there's also um, some very strict regulations around free-to-air broadcasting in this country that come out of Canberra. So there's a little bit more to play out here in opening all of the gates. But have a look at what they've already done there and ask yourself the question if in five years' time, for instance... The NRL could marry up all of that stuff and you're sitting there watching on some streaming platform that you might not even be a member of but you can also buy and then your kids want to buy stuff and there's Black Friday discounts and yada, yada, yada. See how it all comes together? That's a little bit of a template that'll scare the life out of free-to-air TV in particular and some of the other bigger ones as well. As I mentioned, Brody Kostecki has claimed his maiden Supercars Championship after a big weekend in Adelaide. You heard it all here on SEN, the Adelaide 500 finishing off what's been a very controversial season, no doubt about that. We farewell Shane Van Gisbergen. Brody is now the new champion and Matt Payne is now the newest Kiwi rookie to come on in and, and grab the headlines as well. So plenty of storylines to discuss with my next guest, James Moffat, part of our SEN Supercars team. G'day, Moff. G'day, Matty. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, geez, wasn't it a big weekend to wrap up the Supercars <laughs> series over there in Adelaide? Um, what a fantastic event it always is, but um, yeah, the sort of 
Puff sort of went out of the race pretty quickly there on Saturday mm. afternoon with um, Shane being eliminated, you know, really four corners into the, the race on Saturday. Yeah. So, uh, but you can't take anything away from, from Brody Kostecki and the, the Erebus crew. They were, um, they were the dominant force all year and um, yeah, very much deserving champions. It's funny, Moff, we were having the chat on this program, especially off the back of what you did at Bathurst a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations on that, mate, the National Trans Am title. And I was privileged Thank enough to much. call that one. But, Jesus, it, it was, mate, it was scary, wasn't it? And I was I was chatting about the fact that championship weekends never go the way that you think they're going to go. You never win a championship the way that you absolutely think it's going to pan out. And the same goes with losing a championship as well. So it's interesting how Shane Van Gisbergen had one of those weekends that can pop up on a championship-defining weekend, and Brody had the opposite as well. So it, it sort of panned out in that dramatic fashion. A real pity that SVG wasn't part of that fight in the end, but credit to Brody Kostecki and, and, as you will say, the Erebus. What is it, mate, about championship weekends from a driver's perspective when you're in the hunt? Well, you know, you've, you've sort of got that in the back of your mind that you want to try and have a smooth weekend as possible. And certainly, you know, for Shane, it was just really being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was he was unsighted from uh, Cam Waters in front of him when Will sort of made contact with that wall on the exit of Turn 4 and, and, and Shane just had nowhere to go. And I, I said in the coverage, there's been a lot of times over the last, you know, several years where Shane's been in the right time at the right place, you know, right place at the right mm. time. And, and, you know, unfortunately for him and, and the team down there at Triple Eight, it was the other way around. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, it was big damage to both those cars. Probably a little bit ironic in many ways that, you know, the car that um, essentially took him out of the race was that of his, of, of his main rival's uh, teammate and Will Brown, See, who mate. will ironically again replace <laughs> Shane Shane's in the number job. 97 um, <laughs> next year. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I guess you, you couldn't sort of script it like that. But I found it even fascinating that even Brody himself, after the first race um, on Saturday when he clinched the title, finished sixth in the race and, and, and didn't have the speed throughout the race that we've been be, become accustomed to throughout the year. And um, he, he he was already sort of thinking about what he needed to do to the car to improve it for Sunday's race. So he was almost a little bit disappointed in their race performance, although he just won the championship. So uh, that just, I guess, even goes to show you just how much of a hard-nosed racer he is. He's just, you know, competitive right down to the very end, even though he'd won the championship. So talk to us a little bit about Brody Kostecki for my listeners who, who don't know much about him because we've got to keep an eye on him too, Moff, in terms of NASCAR. He's, he's, got his, he's got one eye over there, but now that he's the champion, he's still got a few more boxes to tick. What makes Brody Kostecki um, the, the defining force at the moment in supercars? Yeah, look, I think, you know, what was really impressive and, and the stat that... Um, Aaron Noonan brought up this this um, well, on the weekend just gone, which was sort of probably overlooked, I think, throughout the year. Is third third full time season in the Supercars Championship, but it wasn't until the start of the year at the Australian Grand Prix, the second round of the of the of the, um, of the year, that he won his first full time race. So 
not only has he gone on to start winning races, but he's gone on to win the championship in his third full-time year. So I guess that career path or tra- trajectory has been super, super impressive. Um, you know, he did a, a lot of racing in the United States when he was younger and not too many people um, would have heard of Brody when he came back to Australia, but he, he grafted away. He, he um, was heavily committed to his racing. And I don't know Brody personally too well, but, you know, all, all the things that I hear about him is he's just, a you know, a hardcore racer and, and all he thinks about is racing. And, um, you know, he obviously puts in a huge amount of effort, which all the drivers um, up and down pit lane do, but, you know, each of them are individuals and they all go about... Um, their business differently and you know for for Brody it appears that you know it's life is just all about racing um, for him he's only 26 he's he's young which makes you know his achievements even more impressive and I liked what I heard from him um, in his his post um, season speech if you like um, yesterday afternoon accepting the the Australian Touring Car Championship or the Supercars Trophy and, you know, he said he's already looking forward to, to coming back next year and defending his title. So whilst he might have some ambitions of going overseas and, and you know, heading down the NASCAR path, and there's certainly some, some chat around that, that he might um, get four or five races um, under his belt next year in the NASCAR competition over in the States, um, I certainly still get the feeling that he's heavily committed to supercars. So a final one then on the season itself. It's been it's been controversial. We've had the parity issue all the way through. We've had Ford saying this and the Camaro saying that. We've had Supercars headquarters being under the pump massively. What what is your take out from twenty twenty three and what do you reckon will be different in twenty four? Well, uh, first of all, Matty, I really hope the, the biggest difference in 2024 is we just put this whole parity debate and and discussion to bed because um it really has been too much um of the focus throughout 2023 and i think clearly uh probably really up until the last two two events of the the year the gold coast and and adelaide just gone there's been too much of a discrepancy between the two cars and um you know supercars um, uh, going to the the big expense of sending both the Camaro and the Mustang over to the United States and, and putting them in wind tunnels to do some really extensive aerodynamic testing, and you know that'll be side by side with some further um, engine analysis between the two um, different engines. So, I've but on the other side, Matty, I've really enjoyed seeing the challenge of, of Gen 3 roll out and the challenge that that's provided to the teams and drivers. It's been a completely different um, era of supercars and, and, and how the cars go racing. There's been, you know, niggling problems along the way that the cars certainly haven't been as robust and reliable in, in some areas as we've become accustomed to over the years with the previous generations of cars. But, you know, these are the best teams in the country, best drivers in the country, and to see them competing week in, week out, the competitiveness between the drivers and the teams is still at an elite level. You know, some of the margins across the weekend in the top 10 shootout at Adelaide across both shootouts on Saturday and Sunday were just, you know, uh, mind-blowing how how tight the margins were. You know, we're talking sort of, I think, 0.02 of a second separating the top three cars on on, on the grid in Saturday. So, you know, that, that is just 
goes to show you how competitive the series is, how good the teams are and how good the drivers are. Yeah, I'd concur with you, mate. I know that it's been a, a year of drama, but drama's part of motorsport and getting it right is a massive part of motorsport and part of that drama. If you got it right all the time, as you well know, Moff, if you got it right every single lap, every single weekend, you'd be winning every single lap and every single weekend. So it's all part of the <laughs> exactly. drama. Great stuff, mate. Great stuff throughout the course of the year. Congratulations again on the Trans Am Championship. It was wonderful to watch you do your work this season. Hopefully we get to do it again next year, mate. And um, thanks for being part of the SEN Supercars show this year as well. Uh, thanks very much, Matty. Uh, the Trans Am stuff on a personal level was was a great thrill, but you know it's just been a heap of fun being involved um, on the SEN network and being able to bring supercars action to SEN. And I uh, hope you know the listeners out there have enjoyed it, and we'll see if we uh, can do it again next year. Absolutely, yeah. Well done, mate. Our thanks for that. Enjoy the off-season. James Moffat joining us there, and a huge shout-out to Aaron Noonan as well. Um, it's, it was a new era coming in this year. SEN decided to back the boys, and they did a terrific job. And, yeah, he did a stellar job throughout the Trans Am Series, which is one of my favourite, well, obviously because I called it this year, but one of my favourite categories just in terms of pure racing and the way that Moff went about his business. But if you go back to the defining weekend that he had, to win his championship. It was his first ever championship. It didn't come without drama. And there's a bloke who's massively qualified to talk about what happens when you get to a championship weekend, you're leading, he did everything right, and then off the restart of the final race, the car just decided to crap itself. Like, you you cannot make this stuff up when you're leading the championship. He had to go in and, and do a rescue and recovery mission, and he did it well. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to Brady Kostecki and to Matt Payne for winning yesterday's race and therefore the Adelaide 500 as well. We're back after this right here on SEN. 27 past 10 for our Queensland listeners, 27 after 11 for those listening on 11.70am in Sydney and Greater New South Wales. Uh, hope you're having a good start to the working week. Pretty hot where I am at the moment as we continue to be all over the place while we're rebuilding... The studios, 2am, Tommy's back in action too after heading over to the Wild West. We were speculating as to where he went. My best, my bet was the south of France. Appears as though he's just been in Perth. So uh, we might get you on the line, Thomas, in the next half hour to find out how your trip was because it sounds like an adventure. Matty, this one from Hillstorm Hillary says, I was correct Friday, no number four for Gizzy. He doesn't like being called Gizzy. Um, great weekend, and we'll have to do some studying with all the movements in 2024. Uh, a new headline, Brody's a champ. Payne's now a Dane and Gizzy bound for a new crown. Cheers and cuppers from Hillstorm Hillary. Thank you. Yeah. There's, it's definitely a changing face. I mean, any time a, a, an incumbent champion is moving on and then we have ourselves a new champion, but Brody Kostecki's story is really, really interesting. And even more interesting by the fact that he essentially came through in the in the COVID era in terms of full-time driving. And I got my first look at Brody Kostecki on a number of fronts out there on the track when he was in Dunlop Super 2 Series, but also um, doing some stuff with the Kostecki Brothers Racing, which is his cousins, Kurt and Jake. So we were calling them the fabulous Flying Kosteckis. But they... Um, 
also lent on Brody Kostecki a lot when they went in the middle of COVID into the E-series, the online series, to set up the cars. So that that's where I first sort of got some knowledge of Brody and the input that he was having in a series that he wasn't a full-time, essentially a full-time player yet. And in short order, he's turned it into a victory of the championship. Some drivers can go through their entire careers and have very successful careers and never win a championship. Just like footy players can go through and never win a grand final, but never win a championship in any category. And he's won the biggest one that we've got here. The Logan Warrior says, Matt, let's stop Aussie refs refing Aussie games. It's a conflict of interest. What a load of BS. New Zealand have lost the best coach we've ever had. Shame on you. NZ League. Thank you for that, Logan Warrior. And this one from Juan, loving the show as always. Thank you, mate. Two points. These T20 games, who cares? They mean nothing. I'm still trying to catch up my sleep on my sleep from the final, an actual game that matters. And this Madge thing, he says, I find very amusing. So the New Zealand Rugby League have an issue with him coaching both as a possibly a conflict of interest, yet they're okay with players coming up through junior Kiwis, even okay for their senior Kiwis to then go and play for Samoa or Tonga or vice versa. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for that one. Appreciate it. Right. Let's go to the news. Uh, let's see if we can get Tommy on the line, get a hold of his adventures from the last week and your thoughts as well. Texts and calls coming up. Fletcher broadcasting this whole week at Wahlburgers Opera Keys in Sydney. So for our Sydney listeners, right there next to Circular Key, just on the eastern side there. So out along the big promenade. Uh, if you're in the area, go and say good day to the boys later on this afternoon. And for the rest of the week, Joel and Fletch with the run home. Jimmy Smith, of course, coming up from midday with afternoons. But 2am Tommy, is he's, he was missing in action last week and he's back in action this week. Thomas, welcome back. Where did you end up? Good morning, Matty, uh, listeners, everyone out there. So I was in WA and in the beautiful little spot of Cottleslow. So um, nice little beach, beachside Airbnb with me and a few mates. Um, it's about 20, 25 minutes outside of the Perth CBD. So mm. had a spectacular time there. The weather was just absolutely brilliant. Turned it on every single day. And, yeah, couldn't have asked for a, a better few days. And we, we actually got out at a pretty good time because... Perth have been in a little bit of a heat wave the last week, so I think they've had at least a minimum of 36, 37 degree days. So we got out at a pretty, pretty good time. Yeah, nice. Um, got across to Rottnest, so you've done the whole WA experience. Cottesloe Beach, you picked the good one. You went to the Cottesloe Beach Hotel, the CBH, so you've you've ticked mm-hmm. all the boxes, mate. That was your first trip to Western Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the reason we went over there is to go see Coldplay. So we saw Coldplay on the Saturday night at Optus Stadium. So that was the reason that we went over to WA. And we were all saying if it wasn't the fact that Coldplay were playing there, we probably wouldn't have gone to WA. So it was a good excuse or a good reason to go to WA. And me and the other five boys who all went, we just absolutely loved it. Would definitely go again um, in the future. Okay. Yeah. And Coldplay? Sensational, yeah, just absolutely unbelievable. Wasn't there the night, so they played on the Saturday and Sunday night. I was there on the Saturday night. Wasn't there when Chris Martin gave a, a great tribute to one and only Shane Warne, but it was just phenomenal there. You're in there with 60,000 fans at Optus, great stadium, Optus, and, um, yeah, just absolutely unbelievable scenes to be there. 
Nice. Now, what's? I'm sure you want to have your two cents worth on a couple of issues this morning, if not the main one, because I'm, I'm interested in your take on the New Zealand coaching scenario. So, yeah, the Michael, this whole Michael Maguire situation, I completely understand where New Zealand Rugby League are coming from. And I, I, I did get the point from, from Kempi when you were speaking with him earlier in the show, Matty, about, all right, we want, we want the, the Kiwis coaching role to be the absolutely pinnacle when you talk about, you know, uh, when you talk about either a former player or a New Zealand Rugby League coach coming through the ranks. That's what they should aspire to be. And so, if Greg Peters and the New Zealand Rugby League board think that if they want to put that kind of importance on that role, then they have to do their due diligence in that fact. However, you've also got to see the other the other side of the coin as, all right, who is the next best coach available? And there's some other guys that have been mentioned in the past, like Stacey Jones, who has been an assistant at the Warriors for a long time. He was an interim in the past. He's been an assistant with the Kiwis a long time. And then Nathan Kalis, a former Kiwis captain, and who's had numerous um, assistant coaching positions in the past at NRL clubs like the Roosters, the Tigers, and some others as well. However, if you look at that, if you if you if you line up those three options, who's the best coach available right there at the moment? It's Mark Maguire. And the fact that this is happening, I want to say three weeks after the Kiwis had one of their biggest, if not the biggest, listeners can correct me or not, biggest win over Australia when they won thirty nil. It's pretty, I mean, it's, it's pretty weird, this whole situation, how it's unfolded. So, yes, can understand where New Zealand Rugby League are coming from, where they want a guy who is fully involved um, in the setup. But at the same time, I think you have to look at the best coach available um, to contest with Australia and England year in, year out, because they're the two superpowers of rugby league, international rugby league right now. Are they going to be able to compete at that level if a guy like Stacey Jones or a guy like Nathan um, Kalis is brought in? I'm not entirely sure. What if Wayne Bennett became available? And guess what? Wayne Bennett will kind of soon be available. But what if Wayne Bennett became available, for instance? Do they then say, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, do do New Zealand Rugby League say, well, hang on a second, he'd have a connection with Queensland and therefore Mm -hmm. maybe able to tempt players to get into the state of origin system instead of the... Kiwi system. So I, I just wonder whether they've, you know, developed a rod for their own back here. Yeah, well, well, he has, he has, um, he has a connection there, but I, I think you could tiptoe around that saying he doesn't have an official connection there anymore. So he coached yeah. them on numerous stints, most recently 2020 when he led them to that famous win during COVID. And you've got to go back. Wayne Bennett was the coach, I believe he was the coach when New Zealand won the 2008 Rugby League World Cup on Australian soil. So he's already got a connection there yeah. as well with the Kiwis. Again, if Wayne Bennett was available over Michael Maguire, I'll take Wayne Bennett over the match. No disrespect. I think a lot of people would say the same thing. I just want to bring up a key point where a lot of people, and you just mentioned it there about, you know, trying to sway players and, you know, um, New Zealand Rugby League and Kempe and Greg Peters, they've said it's a full-time role. Um, they want them invested the whole year. I remember Dylan Brown did an interview on SENZ Breakfast a few weeks ago where, um, the uh, Kempe and Israel Dag asked how much involvement Mark Maguire has in the team during the season. And Dylan Brown said, look, he doesn't really talk to us that much during the year. He just lets us focus on our club footy. Um, and then towards the end of the season, when the games, 
um, come fruition, when we know who New Zealand are going to face, that's when Madge contacts us, says, hey, you're in the mix, um, like a rookie, hey, you've done a really good um, job this season. So given from what the players have already said, it doesn't seem like the coaches needs to have a full... Um, a fully forced role during the season. So maybe they want more of that, given the success that they had in the Pacific Championships, and they want to become a regular contender against Australia. But again, as you said in your opener, Matty, a lot of mixed messages coming from New Zealand Rugby League about was it an ultimatum? Was he pushed? Was it Michael Maguire's decision? It's all very weird. Mm, Yeah, it is. I tell you who might be sitting back here going, well solved a headache for us without us having to really think about it is the New South Wales Rugby League because they can now yep, rubber stamp Madge and they don't, they don't have to put any they don't have even if they wanted to they don't have to put now any ultimatum the other way saying well look we want your head in the Blues um, job New Zealand have taken care of that for us anyway. Uh, final point mate uh, Kurt Capewell, Matty, seen touring the facilities of the New Zealand Warriors alongside their head coach, Andrew Webster, um, just recently over the weekend. He's still got one year left on his current deal. Again, I'm going to knock this point again and again until the NRL fixed the transfer system. I brought this up when Adam Fanua Blake requested the immediate transfer. We hear time and time again from the players and the Rugby League Players Association that a transfer window at the end of the season does not allow enough time for players to sort out all their you know, particulars with their children and, and moving out of state and finding a new home. Yet, Kurt Kaywell was just touring the facilities of the Warriors over the weekend. He could be a warrior in one day, two days, one week, and play for them come March, which is less than three months away, in 2024. And he'd be moving internationally to another country. So again, I'll, I will keep banging this point again and again until the NRL fix up the transfer window, because I'm sick of it. There you go. He's come back with a vengeance, folks. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number. Nice to have you back, mate. Good work. We'll take a break back after this. As you may have heard in the news, uh, the passing of Terry Venables, of course, esteemed football coach and former Socceroos coach as well. Ange Postacoglu has had this to say after Tottenham lost to Aston Villa. So... Whilst reflecting on that, Tottenham now fifth on the ladder. Let's have a listen to Ange Postacoglu on Terry Venable's passing. If you're asking about a person who embodies everything that this football club has always wanted to be, it's it's Terry because um, it wasn't just about the way he, he managed or coached the person he was. Um, you know, he, he, he influenced Australia as well. He was a manager you know, for the national team, always goes to the World Cup. But the biggest testament is anyone who I've ever come across who has worked with him will say that he's... Far, by far the, the best coach, manager, tactician they've come across. And Gary Lineker has also said that he played as a striker under Venables at Barcelona and Tottenham. He said exactly the same thing. The best, most innovative coach that he had the pl- uh, privilege and pleasure of playing for. He was hired in 1997 by Australia, but they failed to qualify for the 1998 World Cup after that loss in the playoff to Iran. But his legacy lives on in Australian football and, of course, world football as well. So Terry Venables uh, passing away, a statement made by his family on Saturday morning after an illness. At the EPL table, 
after the 13 matches played. So Arsenal on top on 30 points with nine wins, three draws, one loss. Man City there second on 29 points, nine wins, two draws and two losses. Liverpool, eight wins, four draws and just the one loss for 28 points. The same as Aston Villa, but Villa have had three losses and the one draw plus the nine wins. And then Tottenham now in fifth position. So 13 games, eight wins, two draws and now three losses and those three on the trot for 26 points. At the other end of the EPL table, Sheffield United in 18th on five points. Everton down there, of course, on four points now after that uh, heavy penalty in Burnley. So that's positions 18, 19 and 20. Sheffield United, Everton and Burnley getting interesting. NBA, let's do a score check for you here. So the Bucks have beaten the Trailblazers by six points today, 108 to 102. Celtics uh, lead the Hawks at the end of the third quarter, 90 to 82. And games on court at the moment also include Knicks v Suns. That's a tight one in the third quarter, just two points in it, 84 82. The Suns, the Magic lead the Hornets, 91 86 in the third quarter. Same two for the Grizzlies in terms of quarters, uh, but the Timberwolves lead them, 76 55. Bulls and Nets just underway. Chicago Bulls lead that 16 points to three early days there. And Cavaliers have a four-point lead over the Raptors with another game to start in 10 minutes' time. That'll be the Nuggets v Spurs. And then we go to NFL. Uh, Around the grounds we go in NFL. What happened this morning? So the Chiefs have beaten the Raiders 31 points to 17. Broncos over the Browns, 29-12. Colts over the Buccaneers, 27-20. The Rams had a 37-14 win over the Cardinals. And the Eagles and Bills in overtime at 31 apiece. Uh, and the Chicago, uh, the Chargers v. the Ravens, sorry, in 30 minutes' time, that one to start. So Eagles and Bills locked at 31 all OT in that one. So there's your NFL scenario, NBA plus EPL. Now, this one came in from Cuzzy earlier on, and I didn't get a chance to get to it because we then got smothered by the the conversation around um, Mike McGuire and Tony Kemp's comments. Rugby Wallabies coach update from Cuzzy. Whispers and rumours are saying that 2023 assistant all-black coach, former Irish coach, Joe Schmidt, is being heavily linked to the vacant Wallaby coaching position. Hmm. Okay, so he he was in charge of Ireland for six years and they won the Six Nations Championship three times then and they did the Grand Slam in 2018. And you're right, has also been part of the All Blacks set-up as well. He's a born and bred Kiwi... Uh, and in charge of the Irish national team. So I haven't heard that one, Cuzzy, but thank you for that. I did see uh, Hamish McLennan make the case that he reckons Joseph Suali's $5 million deal has already generated $50 million <laughs> in publicity. Uh, I'd like his accountant. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. You can work the numbers anyway. That's huge. 50 mil. Man, why wouldn't you... I mean, if if that's the return on investment, why wouldn't you just do that all the time? 
That's the biggest business sense deal of all time. And they didn't have to spend a cent aside from five to get 50. I I would love that. Kind of like, and we'll do a bit of digging in later on in the week, kind of like the, the NRL's deal with Fox Sports 1 in America, which is a good deal, right? And, and I'm not here to take that down at all. But we have to be very careful about the numbers here. 90 million people, 90 million people, 90 million people can be exposed. 90, 90, 90, 90. Fox Sports 1 is available. In fact, I think it's lower now. Fox Sports 1 is available to 90 million people. It's very, very different, the whole cable and satellite set up there as it is to here. Very different. So that's what's available to those that will see it. And it is on prime time. It's 6.30, I think, over there. So they get swamped with college football and all that kind of stuff and basketball, college, college, college. But just be careful of those numbers. It's huge because they're getting a good deal on Fox Sports 1 at 6.30 at night, at prime time at night, to show NRL, which is fantastic. Other Aussie sports do get shown on there, but just pull back a little bit on the 90 mil, right? There's a big difference to being available to an audience of dot, dot, dot versus the audience of watches and fill in the dots that way. Either way, the experiment is full throttle. The Vegas experiment is going hardcore, and I love it because they got it up and they got it running, and one of those ideas that's been sitting around for a long, long time is actually coming to fruition. Well done to PVL and Andrew Abdo on that one. We're back after this to wrap it up. Stick around for afternoons with Jimmy Smith, Sydney Thunder batter Ollie Davies will be on the show, Zach Bailey and Tess Connery as well. Then the run home with Joel and Fletch. So for our Sydney audience, they're going to be live from Wahlburgers at Circular Quay. And a special guest for the boys too, former NFL star running back Todd Gurley's going to join them. Aussie golfer Steph Kiriakou will be part of our show tomorrow ahead of the Australian Open, of course. Sydney Flames star and Opals captain Tess Madsen as well. And we'll talk football with the global game host, Simon Hill. So we'll pass it on to Jimmy. one 1170 is that open line number. Make sure you are part of it. We'll continue our discussion as well uh, tomorrow. Thanks for your input today. We did it, folks. We got up and running on a Monday morning. We fired back into another working week. We said g'day to Tommy. He came back from the Wild West. And we've got ourselves... On the runway for another week right here on SEN. See you tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone. Bye for now.